Uh-oh, it looks like we piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business, strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever need them. This is not your typical mastermind. The hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast, where attitude is everything on today's show. Uh, I've been very excited to be able to have a conversation with this young man. Um, I want to give a little plug to the hideout. Uh, it's coming February 2nd through the 4th. Uh, we only got 12 spots available. There is uh, actually now we only got 10, I believe. Uh, after today, I think we're going to only have eight. Uh, but we, we, we curate the people uh, to be able to bring in the highest level people, highest level individuals in their respective markets. And then that way, no one has to worry about uh, you know their pride or puffing up or anything like that. They get a chance to be themselves. Work on the things that really matter, which is the joy in your life and it overpours into every single thing else. So that's my shameless little plug for the hideout. But I've been so excited to be able to spend time with this young man because uh, uh, it's, it's very close to my heart because my, my family is very involved in, in what it is that he does. Um, and he's not only building, uh, you know, amazing uh, soccer players, he's building champions in life. And uh, I've heard about him for so long. I've heard about his integrity of who he is, um, his uh you know, resume is a mile long. I'm not even going to read off that. We'll talk about that stuff, but it would take me all episode to talk about all the escal uh, or the, the 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 accolades that that this man has. Um, but it's it's my honor and my pleasure to be able to have the head coach of uh, Robert Morris University women's soccer uh, uh, soccer program, Mr. Chris Shaw, on the program. So thank you so much for being here, Chris. Oh, thank you, Kelly. I appreciate it. I've been I've been looking forward to this. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> I kept, I kept going when it, I know it's coming up. I know it's coming up and it just, I'm, I'm glad it's finally here again. You're uh, uh, I know we've never officially met, but I've known of you and about you and heard a lot about you uh, for quite a while now. So, and, and again, your brother's a, a special guy. So I've, I've uh, again, I'm super pleased to be here. 
Well, we I think we have that that affinity for that that man, Rob Cardenas, and I think he's I think he's out there watching. I believe so. He'll put a comment in the comments, uh, yeah. and I'll tell him right now. Rob, put a comment in there. Um, but we have that affinity for him, and and Rob never brings people around me or never introduces me to people um, that aren't making people better. He he won't introduce me to. He's very conscious of this. I called him one time and I said, "Man, this guy is really really successful." He was like, "Stop," and I said, "What do you mean?" And he was rude about it. So, Rob, you were rude to me on the phone. And he said, stop. And I said, why, why do I need to stop? And he said, when you say successful, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, I mean, he's successful in his business. He's doing a lot of revenue. And he's like, stop. He said, we need to stop right there if that's what you think of success. Because success has nothing to do with money or things. And he only brings around people like yourself that are growing individuals making people better as opposed to just making their profession better. So there are people who are great coaches who make great soccer players, make great teams, but you are building champions. Can you talk about that, why that's so important to you as opposed to just building the player on the field? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think it sounds a little bit cliche at times, but, um, you know, the overwhelming majority of the individuals that I'm around are not going to go play professional soccer. You know, they're going to go on to, um, you know, things other than soccer, they're going to be professional in other aspects of their life. So, you know, what, while what they do on the soccer field is, is very important and a big part of their lives, it's about a four year time span. And then they're going to go off and, you know, have families and, um, you know, get, I say real jobs, not that playing professional soccer is not a real job, but, you know, be in, in, in another aspects of, uh, you know, of their career. So, you know, you want them to be successful. And um, so if they're just great soccer players and, and not well-rounded individuals, they're probably not going to be that successful off the field. And, and so, again, for me, the, the joy is seeing them be successful once they leave the university and, and go on to do great things, you know, in their, in their individual lives, whether that's, again, you know, with their families. I mean, I still get, I, I get, I get texts all the time from one of my former players and, and she's always sending me pictures of her kids and, you know, she's now coaching them. I think they're U4 and she's coaching her two twin boys. Uh, and so she's sending me a picture of them with their shin guards on and their soccer shoes. And, you know, it's just great to see how much she's, she's come along and developed as a, you know, as an individual over the years. So uh, it's just very rewarding to see, you know, to see these individuals and what they go on to do in their lives. So what do you love most about coaching? Like, you know, cause there's, there's, I find that people that say become a therapist when they become a therapist and I get a chance to ask them this all the time and I'll have them on the show and I'll be like, well, why'd you become a therapist? They'll be like, because I needed therapy. Right. <laughs> and there'll yeah. be a person who wants to do a ton of philanthropy. They'll be like, well, I did without when I was a kid. You know, I have a guy named Manny, a homie who has Samaritan's feet and uh, Samaritan's feet. He, he puts uh, shoes on kids all over the country and all over the world to stop footborne diseases. Well, guess yeah. what? And up until the age of nine, Mr. Manny Ahomi didn't have shoes. Yeah. So talk to us about why you love coaching, what got you into it, and why soccer? Yeah, I mean, I fell in love with soccer at, a, at an early age, and it was just a, for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe I was – well, I'll tell you this. I, I started out playing baseball. I was petrified of a fastball, you know. Like I, I thought it was going to hit me, and I didn't want to get hit with a ball. So I think that, that cured me of baseball. and got into soccer where the ball's a lot softer and doesn't hurt nearly as much when it hits you. And, um, again, fell in love with it. You know, I was living in, my family was military. I was living in Germany and it, you know, it's a religion over there. And, 
And um, so I just super passionate about playing the game. And, you know, there's a reason it's the world's most popular sport. You know, it's called the beautiful game. And so um, when I was done with my playing career, it was just kind of made sense to uh, to get into coaching. And, you know, I, I mean, nothing nothing for me is more rewarding than seeing a team kind of come together and, you know, the moving pieces and the passing of the ball and, you know, just having that success on the field. I mean, it's, I think, unlike a lot of other sports, it's, it's a, it is a team sport. You know, there's not, there's not really, you know, in, in baseball, you're kind of the pitcher is kind of your, your main, you know, your main person and in football, it's your quarterback. Well, in soccer, you've got, you've got 11 players that are all on the field and they're all equally important. There's no one, one player or one position that's more important than any other. So um, I don't know. Again, it, I, I think it's just a, a unique and special sport and, and I've just enjoyed my time playing it. And, and now I just enjoy trying to, you know, trying to get, well, I get my enjoyment out of now watching other people play it now that I'm of an age where I can't really compete at that level anymore. So, so sell me on this, Chris, because you just said it's the world's number one sport. If you're listening out there, we got listeners from all over the world, uh, Chris, but the ones who are listening in America are like, man, let me, let me, let me, let me stop you right there because yeah. all they're thinking is baseball or all they're thinking is basketball. All they're thinking is football. Sell me on this because as an American growing up in America, a lot of times we don't understand how important soccer is. And I didn't understand this until my brother who well, I'll refer to him a lot. My best friend in the world, my hero one year, uh, this was before he had children. He was up super late watching the world cup. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Because again, we didn't grow up with it in America. It's not touted as that. So sell me on this sport and why more Americans should be watching soccer. Yeah. I mean, it, again, anywhere you go in the world with the exception of the USA, it's, you know, everyone eats, sleeps and drinks soccer. I mean, it's, you know, it, it is, it is a religion in a lot of other countries. And, um, Again, I, I was fortunate enough to be in Germany and and was coached by a German coach. And so he was kind of educating me on, um, you know, I asked, I remember asking him one time, who's the best player in the world? And he goes, well, depends on where you're from. The Germans think it's Karl Heinz Rummenigge. The French think it's Platini. The um, the Brazilians think it's Pele. You know, it, it. so it's it's not, you know, if you ask someone who's the best basketball player in the world right now, I mean, you're going to get what, maybe LeBron or, uh, you know, um, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, you know, Steph Curry. Well, there's going to be what two or three Americans, right? And there's no, there's, there's not much, and there's not that much debate on it. Right. Currently. I mean, the debate is who's the greatest ever, but not, you know, not her, who's currently the greatest, you know? So, um, you know, again, it's just a sport that, you know, all over the world, people just, I mean, the world cup's coming up and I think I just saw, I think there are about 3 million tickets already sold. The, the viewership for the world cup is like in the, in the billions. And so I think it's funny when they talk about the Super Bowl and being the world champions, it's like, well, no one else is really competing for the Super Bowl except American teams. So it's not really a world champion, is it? You know, but the World Cup, you've got every every country in the world is competing for that. So you truly are a world champion, you know, when you win the World Cup. And and again, it doesn't matter whether your country's playing or not. I mean, I get it. I, again, the World Cup comes around every four years and and as a soccer fan, I mean, it's, it's the most exciting time of the, I guess, of every four years. I mean, it, you just get up for it. You can't wait for it. You're up at, you know, again, I, I don't even know what time the games are going to be 
with it being in the Middle East. But, you know, if, if kickoffs are at 3 a.m., then you can rest assured I'm setting the alarm for 245 to get up and watch, you know, whether it's the USA or, you know, the other the other great teams in the in the world, the Brazils, the Fran- the, the French, the, the Germans. Um, you know, it's just a super exciting time and, and great to see these countries all competing, you know. So talk to me like if I'm a parent, right, and, and which I am, and my my parent, my kids have kind of chosen their sports or whatever. We're you got a group of parents, and they're all they all have one question to you, Chris. Like, I've got football, I got basketball, I got baseball, I got soccer. Why should my kid play soccer? Yeah, and I mean, you that's, be bi- I mean, you could be biased, and you could, be, I mean, because yeah. you are like it's your yeah. love yeah. of the sport. Like, yeah. say for instance, all those parents were sitting down and said to me, "Who should my kid love in the NFL?" There's one answer: it's the Titans. There's a reason they're blue, uh, baby blue and red. Those two colors are the only two colors that should be in the NFL. There also is only one running back. That's Derrick Henry. And all of you out there that aren't, and he's living in Pittsburgh. Chris is living in Pittsburgh. And all you Steeler fans, seriously, shut off the podcast right now. I'm joking with you. But that's in my head, I would be, I'm, I'm biased. I'm irrational. Let's have irrational Chris, parents sitting down. Why should the kids play soccer? Well, I'll tell you, I, I don't know about the irrational side. The rational side would say, well, they're going to be active, right? They're going to be they're going to be moving a baseball game. And again, I, I okay, I guess I will be irrational here. I'll, I'll do a little, I'll do a little other sport bashing. But I love it. Baseball. I played baseball growing up, and 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 my not my fondest memory, but one of the most vivid memories of me standing in outfield with my glove over my face, chewing on the little leather pieces of the glove, you know, waiting for the ball to get hit to me. So in baseball, you're standing around for, I don't know what, 90% of the time where in soccer, you're constantly moving. You're, you know, you're, you, the game doesn't stop. There's no timeouts. There's, you know, so it's, uh, I think in terms of like what's best for your child in terms of keeping them, them active and, um, you know, from that standpoint, they're, they're constantly doing something, you know, even football. I mean, you, you go watch a football practice and, you know, it lasts four hours. And I, I mean, I go sometimes and watch our you know, our college team train. And I'm like, man, there is a lot of standing around, you know, there's a lot of waiting for you to then go, you know, make a little run and then catch a ball. And in soccer, like one of the things that we're taught as coaches from an early age is like no lines, you know, you don't, you want all the kids constantly moving, constantly having a ball. Um, You know, you don't want them standing around and, and, and being bored, you know? So um, from that standpoint, again, I think it's uh, it's a sport where the kids are going to have fun. They're not, you know, it's not, and it, it's a it's a player sport too. That's the biggest thing for me. It's football. Coach calls the plays, and then the players go run the play. Basketball. There's a lot of plays that are being called, right? Um, I mean, baseball. Again, everyone's just standing around watching the pitcher and the catcher, you know, do their do their hand signals and figure out which pitch they're they're going to throw. Where soccer is a player sport, you know, it, it really is the player's game. And as coaches, we can try to put players in positions, but, you know, the players have to make decisions on their own. Uh, we're not, we don't have stoppages where we can call a play or tell them what to do. It, they have to make decisions in the moment. And um, so, again, it's, it's, it's a player's game, not a coach's game. So, so that's, that's, my, that's my irrational rant. I love it. I love it. And for my football coaches, my basketball, I just had coach ball game on. He's a baseball coach. And, yeah. but I love it because I want to be able to hear from the side. I mean, you have a love of the sport you played, you played at a high level. Um, you're coaching, you're coaching at a high level. 
talk to me about this too, because when you guys, uh, Robert Morris division one, am I correct? Yes. Okay. How many division one, uh, women's soccer programs are there in the country? So I might be off by a couple cause it, it changes year to year because okay. there's constant teams that are transitioning from D2 to D1 or new programs that are starting. But right now I think it's around 340, 343, give or take a couple. Okay. I might, again, I might be off by a couple, but there's around 340 division one women's soccer programs in the country. So think about that as a kid, right? If you're a kid and you said there's only 340 positions in the entire world in jobs, right? And you're going to go apply for them. You would be like, eh, I'm probably going to pick a different field, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. you, you can imagine. And for the yeah. listeners out there, there's only 340 of Chris's positions, meaning there's only 340 Chris's in the whole entire United States. I mean, does that does that settle into you? Do, I mean, is that a pinch me kind of situation for you, or do you even recognize that? Oh, I've thought about that a couple times, and you know, again, it. I mean, it was always a goal of mine to be a Division One head coach, and um, you know, I guess once I did get there, I was kind of like, all right, I've accomplished this goal, and then to put it in those terms, it you know, you kind of think, okay, well, you know, wow, that is kind of neat that there's only. 340 of these positions and I have one of them. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just, you know, me doing what I love to do. And if I wasn't coaching division one, I'd be, I'd be content coaching division two, II, division three and AI. I mean, what, or club even for that matter. I just love coaching soccer. So it's, it's great that I got to, that I get to do it at the division one level where there are, you know, typically more resources and, and, um, you know, I think higher level of players, um, compared to some of the other, some of the other divisions. But again, it's, it's a passion that I have for teaching and coaching the game. And, and regardless of, of whether it's division one, division two, II, division three, and I've coached division two, I've coached division three. Uh, it's still soccer. And at the end of the day, that's, that's my passion. That's my love. So what would you say your, your leadership philosophy in your, in your coaching is? Because there's the, you know, there's the Phil Jackson side of the super Zen kind of draw out the best. There's the, you know, we, we all grew up, we grew up with the Bobby Knight throwing a chair at you. And, you know, we, I had coaches growing up that were like, you know, my dad had wall to wall counseling is what he called it. <laughs> Cause he was going to bang you against the wall until you got what yeah. he needed you to do. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the in your face kind of guy. There's the setback. There's the draw out kind of coach. What is your leadership philosophy when you're working through with your coaching? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that I'm a you know more of a player's coach. I mean, I, I want I want to give the players the um, you know the self belief and the the empowerment to make decisions on the on the field on their own. You know, like in soccer, we talk about we talk about joysticking players, which is basically the coaches kind of micromanaging, coaching every kick, every pass of the ball. And that's really not what you want. As I said before, it's a player's game. The players have to have to have the knowledge and the belief and the ability to do things on the field on their own without being micromanaged and told what to do. So for me, it's, you know, in training, that's where we're trying to teach the players, coach the players of what they're supposed to do in the game. And then once you get to the game, now it's up to the player to make those decisions. And so you, what you hope is that you've done a good job, a good enough job during the week with your coaching and training that then they can do that on their own in the game. And that's their opportunity to kind of, you know, demonstrate what they do know and what they have learned. Um, now, again, there's always going to be, you know, moments where you have to make adjustments and, you know, give instruction. 
Um, but I always tell my players, no, nothing would make me happier than to sit and watch the game and not have to say a single word, you know, just watch them execute and get the job done. That's what, that's what I'm striving to do is to have them in complete control and, and not have to really do anything except make some subs here and there. Um, that's, that's the goal. You know, that's what, that's what we're striving to get to. So one of the big things about your job is recruiting. Am I correct? Oh yeah. So when you're recruiting, give me the top three things that you're looking for in a kid. Yeah. I mean, you know, every coach has a different, different things that they're looking for. And, and soccer is, you know, some coaches are more drawn towards the athletes, you know, the bigger, faster, stronger kid that, you know, can outrun everybody or out jump everybody. Um, you know, some coaches are, are drawn more towards the technical players. And, and so for me, even though I was, I was a player that was more, the more athletic and not quite as technical. And maybe that's why I'm drawn more towards the technical players. Cause it wasn't who I was, you know, we have, we have a saying that you need piano players and piano carriers on a team. And, um, everyone wants to be the piano player. You know, they want to be the, you know, the one that's pulling the strings and, you know, kind of making things happen. And the piano carriers are the ones that are just, you know, coaches like, Hey, go win the ball. As soon as you give, win it, just, you know, give it to the piano player. Um, I want to have a, a whole team of piano players, to be honest. I want, I want the players that are technical, that are creative, they're skillful. They're maybe not the biggest, maybe not the fastest, maybe not the strongest, but for me that the way the game should be played is with the ball on the ground and passing and moving and, you know, again, technical players that can do things with the ball um, that sometimes your your big strong athletes can't do. So, um, so again, when I when I'm recruiting, what I'm looking for is their technical ability first and foremost. Yeah, and then their decision making with the ball, right? Like, can they, you know, can they see things that maybe some other players can't see? Um, and and then the last thing for me is probably that leadership piece, right? Can they do they communicate? Do they you know, are they, are they helping their teammates? Um, you know, those, those are for me, they're the big three and, and our team, you know, we, we really have a certain style of play that we're, that I'm married to. I'm, I'm super committed to it. And I think I'm, I'm at that stage in my career where, you know, I'm, I'm a little stubborn and, and, and I, I see the game, I see the game a certain way and I want it to be played that way. And I'd rather, I'd rather lose playing a certain style than win kind of playing, direct, um, maybe not as attractive soccer. And, and again, I think if I was in my twenties and, and still trying to work my way up the coaching ladder, you know, maybe the winning would take preference or, or priority. Um, but again, we're just, you know, we're, we're trying to win the right way. And, um, and again, we just have to have players that are, that are good on the ball, comfortable with the ball at their feet. So explain to me your style, because you were talking about being into that style. And there's a, there's, there's some people out there that maybe don't understand soccer or maybe don't understand the coaching style. So when you're, cause some, some people could hear like, oh, wow, maybe winning's not that important to them. I understand what you're saying, yeah. but, but to the, to the person out there that is a, a novice in the sport, you're saying that you want the game played a certain way. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So there's, there's one school of thought, which is we want to get the ball as far away from our goal as possible and as close to the other team's goal as po as quick as possible. 
And that's more direct. And again, the farther the ball is from your goal, the less likely you're going to get scored on. The closer your team is to the opposition's goal, the greater likelihood you're going to score. And so that's one philosophy. Um, my philosophy is we want to keep the ball as much as we can. And so if the goalkeeper has the ball in their hands, which means the ball is very close to your goal, you know, a lot of teams will punt the ball and a goalkeeper goalkeepers in the college game can punt, punt the ball well past midfield. So now you've immediately got the ball in the, in the other team's half farther away from your goal, closer to theirs. Our goalkeeper has probably punted the ball about six times total. And we're about, I don't know what we are, 14 games into the season. So I don't like it when our goalkeeper punts the ball. I want, I want her to play it, to roll it out to one of our backs. And, and we try to pass, pass and move the ball up the field um, that way. And so there are times where we lose the ball in our own half because, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Right. And, and when you're knocking the ball around your own half, the more often you do that, the more, the more chances there are for the opposition to win it and us to lose the ball. So yeah, we do give up ball, uh, goals like that on occasion, but, um, our reaction to that is we just got to get better at it. You know, we just got to learn from that mistake and, and let's do better next time. Whereas it's, it's funny because we'll play some teams that will try to build out of the back. And if we press them and they lose it a couple of times, they, all right, just, just knock it, just kick it. And we're going to start punting the ball. And my reaction is if we build out of the back and teams try to press us and, and we get dispossessed, you know, it's like, all right, learn from it, but we're not going to, we're not going to change what we do. We have a style that we're committed to. The players are committed to it. The coaching staff's committed to it. We recruited players that fit into that style. Players have come to RMU specifically because of the way we play. And, um, you know, so that's, that's kind of the gist of, uh, of, of what we're trying to do and, and the different ways to try to, you know, to get a win. So help the, help the person out there too, because the, the argument a lot of times with soccer, right. Is, I mean, it, it, there's a game ends zero one or zero zero or one, one. Um, can you talk to the novice out there of what is going on that they sometimes don't see? And I'll give you an explanation on this is because Rob and I, uh, my brother, are very big UFC fans. But we understand mm -hmm. the UFC. He understands it on a higher level than I do. But I'm a true fan. Like, I, I love it. So I love the strategy part of it. So when someone's not getting knocked out, I still understand it. But when we would go to the fights, a lot of people would be like, boo it's boring I'm like no there's strategy in this you idiot yeah. like this is the yeah. only time you've ever been to a, a a fight and you don't understand the fight game that was frustrating to me I'm sure it can be that same way sometimes with the true soccer fan when a person is just saying they're not scoring 100 goals a game can you talk to some of the I mean as far as the strategy and the things that people aren't seeing uh, when they're watching yeah I mean scoring goals is the hardest part of the game and it's not easy to score a goal. I mean, you might think, well, it's this big, you know, it's this big goal that you've got and only one guy standing or one person standing in there, but you know, it, it's not easy to do. And um, so, yeah, you can, you can pepper a team and not score a goal. I mean, there's zero, zero games where one team dominates and just can't find a way to get the ball into the, into the goal. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of strategy, there's technique, there's, you know, it can be a super exciting game and in zero, zero, and I always think it's funny that, that Americans tend to, you know, non-soccer Americans tend to have that view, yet can get super excited about a no-hitter in baseball. To me, it's like, well, 
a no hitter in baseball, you know, like what did we sit there and watch? You know, like <laughs> well, people would get excited about that, you know? So I don't know. I mean, it's um, again, for someone who's, who's grown up on it and loves the game, you know, one, you can, there can be a one zero game, a zero zero game. And, the, and it's, and it can be just great soccer, you know, likewise, it can be a seven, a seven zero game is, is probably not any fun to watch. You know, it's, it's so lopsided and, um, you know, whereas, uh, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's, um, I don't know. I think Americans are used to, are used to high scoring sports, right? So, we, you know, it's not, it's not basketball. There's not going to be a hundred points thrown up there, you know, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit harder to score a soccer goal than it is to, to shoot a basket. So. Well, it's, it's amazing that you said the no hitter. I never thought about it that way, Chris. Like when you said that, my mind just went, and I'm sure that people out there listening, they're like, damn, he got me. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that was, uh, that was incredible. Help me too, because my, um, I think it's, uh, it's my wife's uncle. Mm-hmm. He coaches in the major leagues in the, um, he, he coaches for the, uh, farm, uh, farm team or triple I think it's triple A for the angels, I believe. Okay. And I was talking with him and I was like, how do you coach these athletes that are so elite? And he was like, Honestly, I don't coach him that much. I ask him questions. And I was like, tell me a question. He said, well, he said, Kelly, the difference between a home run and a foul ball or a pop-up is like that much. And I was like, wait a second. No, it's the difference between knocking it out the park and knocking it straight up. He said, but the bat swing is like that much. So there's that much difference between a home run and a fly out. Talk to us about the difference between NIL, Division Three. Division two, division one prospect. What is the difference? Is it, I mean, and, and help us to understand this because when he was telling me that about professional baseball players, he was like, honestly, the difference in them being in the farm and being in the show wasn't that much. There was just a couple of things that needed to be tweaked. What are those things with soccer? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's plenty of, of players that are playing division two or division three that could be playing division one. And likewise, there's, there's probably kids that are playing division one that, should be playing maybe division two or division three. So there's a lot of overlap there. Um, but it, it can be a variety of different things. You know, it could be, it could be that that individual just doesn't have the, the athleticism that's necessary to play at, you know, at, at the division one level soccer wise in terms of their technique and their understanding of the game, they have it, but maybe they're just not quite fast enough. Um, you know, some of it, some of it could be the opposite, right? Some of it could be their division one caliber athlete, have the speed, the strength, all that good stuff, but don't have the soccer um, ability. You know, their technique is the first touch is just not good. They can't, you know, they can't control the ball, those types of things. So, um, and, and I, and I think it just depends on, you know, the, the team and quite, you know, the, the team and what that, what that coach is looking for. So for me, you know, a, a division one athlete, that doesn't have the the soccer is not is just not that attractive to bring into the program. Um, so again, there, it's not like the professional sports where yeah, I mean the the differences there are just you know the difference between what being a triple A AAA player and a and a major league player you know I mean it's probably minimal. Um, but even I think even though at the collegiate level though, I think you're going to see um, you know the mental maybe the mental side of things right like it's funny because I get a lot of players when they come to the college level and they say, well, I feel like I've gotten worse as a player because I can't do the things I used to be able to do. 
I was like, well, that's because you're no longer competing against high school and club kids. You're now competing against college players. So at, at, at the, at the club level, they play in their age group, right? So you're, you're 18 year old, you're playing against other 18 year olds and you get to college and you're an 18 year old playing against a 21, 22 year old. That's a big difference. So, um, you know, so it's those players that mentally have that, you know, that toughness and the, and the self-confidence to, to really thrive in that environment as well can be the difference, I think, between, a, you know, a Division One, a Division Two, and a Division Three kid. You know, are you, are, do you want to you go challenge yourself and play at the highest level you can, or do you want to be maybe a, you know, a big fish in a small pond and, you know, be the, be the superstar? And so maybe a kid that could play Division One is playing Division Two, and because um, they get to play for, you know, four years, as opposed to sitting on the bench and, and paying their dues for a couple of years. I mean, and again, I, I was a D3 guy, you know, I, I wanted to play. I didn't, I didn't want to sit on the bench for four years or two years or even one year. I wanted to play. So I was a D3 guy where I knew I could go in and play right away and don't have any regrets with that. But, um, you know, it's, again, I think it's just kind of, you know, what, what individuals are looking for. I mean, you only get four years at the college level, so you better enjoy them, you know? So Chris, when you let's let's go into that mentality part because you know I I, I find that there have been times I, I coach at a very low uh, when I say low level I mean I'm talking like fourth graders or fifth graders or stuff like that and it's youth and it's just for fun it's wreck yeah. but I find that there are kids out there that have the the physical ability but their attitude is not in the place and then I find a kid who has the attitude maybe they're physical but they're able to overcome the physical because of their attitude can you yeah. talk about that and how can a kid how can a kid work out their attitude and and what advice would you give to them in that? Oh man, that's a hard one. I think if I had the answer to that, I'd I'd, I'd probably be making millions in the uh, psychology of coaching realm. Um, you know, I coach youth as well, and and it, you know, you see you see these individuals that that do lack that competitive piece to their game. They they have you know they can be technical, they can even be good athletes, but they just they're just missing that competitive piece that you know, that whether it's that self-belief or that, or that work ethic. And, and to be honest, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think once kids get to college, if they're missing that it's, it's too late. You know, I, I like, I don't, I mean, rarely have I seen, I mean, you do see it on occasion, but I think that's the exception to the rule, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, you know, that's a tough question. That's a tough nut to crack. And, and um, so for us at the collegiate level, we just tend to not recruit those kids because thinking that a kid's going to change who they are. And a lot of times I think players on the field personality mirrors their off the field personality and vice versa. Mm. You know, if you're kind of a reserved, quiet kid off the field and, and then you go on the field and that's kind of the way you are as well, you're not impactful. That's hard to change. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how you, I don't know you how, how you how you fire up a, a an individual who who doesn't seem to have that that internal drive and motivation to be the best that they can be, you know. I mean, I, I'll tell you this: I'm sure the the LeBron James of the worlds were not, you know, didn't need a coach, you know, getting them getting them fired up to compete. You know, that was just who they were. Kobe. I mean, you look at Kobe Bryant, right? Like he's the one everyone talks about, like his his killer instinct on the court. That 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 didn't come from anyone except him. You know, 
So what can a kid earlier on, because obviously there's so many high school kids out there, there's so many, uh, you know, junior high and even grade school kids that are listening and saying, wow, Coach Shaw, like, pick me, pick me, pick me. Talk to those kids. What can they do now to be able to help, like, because you're going to have physical challenges. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have setbacks. You're not going to play it on a certain game when you knew you should have played. How can a kid, the early stages, get themselves prepared so Coach Shaw would want to recruit them in the first place? Yeah, I, you know, I think so much of that is how, is how they respond to those, to those events. You know, like, unfortunately, I think um, oftentimes in youth sports, parents are trying to avoid any of those tough moments for their kids, any of those learning moments, you know, if things get hard, my kid's not playing, well, let's just go to another team where they will play instead of, instead of using those as learning moments. And, and I feel like the kids that, that are successful at the highest level dealt with some setbacks and had to be resilient and learn from that. Um, so again, I think you've, hopefully kids have those moments, you know, a, an injury that you, you missed some games and maybe that gave you a little bit of fire in your, in your belly to, you know, you missed it and you're like, shoot, I don't want to be in this situation again. Um, motivates them to work, you know, to work, to continue to work hard, you know, maybe not get injured again or, or whatever. I mean, I, like I said, I know I, when I was growing up, I dealt with a lot of, I had a, a broken leg when I was 15 and I was like, you know, this is awful. I, I hated it. All I, all I want to do is get back on the field. And so when you get that opportunity to get back on the field, it, you know, you just want to work that much harder and almost make up for the time that you missed. Um, you know, I was cut, I was cut from my junior high soccer team, uh, you know, in eighth, what was that? Seventh, eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth, seventh grade. And I, I thought I was, I thought I was more than good enough to make the team and I got cut. And, um, you know, I, that was, that was a moment for me where I was like, okay, wait till next year. Next year I came back and I was a leading goal scorer on the team. You know, it's like, you, you have to learn from those moments. And I think too many parents want, you know, their, their, their child's entire existence to just be, you know, as smooth sailing as possible. And, and that's not, that's not what develops um, resiliency and, and character and, you know, those types of things. Um, so I don't know, I think, I think having a, having a tough go of it, you know, you show me, you know, show me some successful uh, professional athletes and college athletes, and I bet they've got their share of, uh, of stories that they could share with you where they had to show, you know, demonstrate some resiliency growing up. So Chris, uh, you know, coach, <clears throat> hypothetically, a kid goes unsigned, right? Goes unsigned, gets an injury, senior year of high school, couple games left in the season, hypothetical. Is, it, is this hypothetical? Or this is, is hypothetical. This is all <laughs> hypothetical, man. Probably, say, probably one of the, one of the highest uh, prospects, uh, you know, coming out in this this year gonna gonna yeah. graduate this year and five games to go not unsigned by a college gets hurt and what do you tell that kid yeah you know what because I, it's what I, I mean because it's devastating right it's devastating yeah. hypothetically it would be devastating for a kid to go through yeah. something that you know and especially like hypothetically if the kid injured their leg, which the leg is what you need in, in, uh, in, uh, soccer, you know, and it's integral, obviously integral part of the game. 
And it's like, I mean, what do you, what do you tell the kid? Do you wait for a couple of weeks, let it cool down? Or do you just go right in and be like, yo, get your butt up. Let's go. Yeah. I think there's gotta be a, a little bit of a grieving period there. Right. For them to, you know, kind of assess, assess the situation. But, um, you know, but then after, after maybe a week or so of understanding where they're at, then it's like, Hey, look, you know, let, what are your aspirations? What are your goals? But what I'll say is I, I feel like most, most kids, most, um, players, if they're good enough, they're gonna, they're gonna get an opportunity. And, um, you know, I think gone are the days where, I mean, I mean, again, as, co- as college coaches, we're always looking for the diamond in a raw for the kid that got overlooked, but you know, that's getting harder and harder to come by these days with, you know, I don't know if that's just, uh, you know, due to social media and, and, and our access to, you know, I mean, everyone films their games now and you can send it out and all that kind of stuff that even if the timing of that is not ideal, if you're a good player, there's still going to be opportunities um, without a doubt. And so it's just kind of, you know, yeah, the timing of that injury sucks and, you know, but, you know, make the most of it, come back stronger, let it motivate you. Um and, and they'll find, they'll find opportunities for sure. And, and even though it might, even if it's not at the, maybe at the level that they wanted to be at, like, you know, maybe it's a D2 opportunity instead of a D1 opportunity because of that injury. Well then go tear it up at the D2 level. And, and then you can always transfer if that's not competitive enough for you. And, and I'll tell you what, if, if a kid reached out to RMU and had scored 20 goals at the D2 level and said, Hey, I'm looking for a little bit more of a challenge. I'd be, I'd be like, Heck yeah, let's go. Bring it. You know, twenty goal score, twenty goal score at any level is is going to be a pretty talented player. So help me with this too. Again, all these things are hypothetical, coach. But hypothetically, if a if a kid got injured and then they were doing visits to a college, right, and they're 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 in a brace, what are you looking for? Are you just seeing the brace as a as a as a coach, or what are you looking for in that kid? Like, do you want to see the fact that they can? you know, that they can get up and they can, they can move forward. What, what is it that you look for? Yeah. I mean, I, I, if a kid's coming on a visit who, who we had actually been actively recruiting prior to the injury, you know, that doesn't change anything for us. I mean, you know, gone are the days where, you know, when I was, when I was young and playing an ACL was, I mean, you know, your, your knee would look like Frankenstein's monster, you know, it'd be all scarred up and, you know, people wouldn't come back from those like they do now. Now, I mean, ACLs are so common, um, you know, it's sometimes hard to find a, <laughs> sometimes hard to find a player that, that hasn't had an ACL in the women's game. Um, but we've, we've got a senior this year that's just absolutely tearing it up. And, you know, you would never know that she had an ACL injury. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is a setback, but it's not for us. It's not something that would change the recruiting process. If we liked her before the injury, then, then there's absolutely no reason for us to think that she's going to be in any, any worse for wear after the injury. So coach, talk to me about the NIL stuff and, and has it impacted you in a positive, negative, what do you see with this and what do you see as maybe the positives and the negatives of the NILs uh, deals coming in to your sport? Yeah, I, to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of NIL deals coming into our sport. Um, I feel like the the basketballs and the footballs of the world are, you know, more where the where those deals are coming from. Unless you're at a large university, I mean, I'm trying to. I think, um, oh shoot, I was just having a conversation with an athletic director today, and he was saying, 
I can't remember what the school was, but they had done, they had done a deal with almost the entire um, athletic department. You know, I know, I think BYU, I think, I think BYU did it. And I, a businessman at BYU did a deal. A businessman did a deal with BYU with the, all the women's athletes. Oh, wow. So they're all getting, they're all getting NIL deals. Um, and I know there's, you know, there's, you know, there's all kinds of stories all over the place. I think Miami university of Miami has got some big NIL deals and, you know, unfortunately RMU we're a mid major, you know, we're not that high profile. I think we've got one player that did an NIL deal with a, a sock company. She's Japanese. I think they, um, and I think they gave her a couple pairs of socks in the deal. So, you know, it's, you know, you got, you got, a. I think there's a, I think there's a football player that's, you know, probably making what 80, hundred thousand million dollar deals, you know, and, and we've got a, and we've got a player that she got some free socks. I think my, my niece plays division one soccer. I think she's got a teammate that got some free, um, uh, like, like energy drinks and stuff like that. You know, it's, you know, no one's no, no, there's not, I don't, I don't know of any women soccer players that are, that are getting six figure deals or even, you know, five figure deals. So um, talk to, talk to us too about that disparity, right? Right. So that part, a lot of people, I mean, especially it's a hot button in today's society, right? Where they're saying like in that WNBA, there's the uh, WNBA saying, Hey, we need to be paid more and the guys are being paid X. And then there's the argument of, well, there's not that many people showing up to watch the games. Right. Yeah. Um, what is your, what's your take? Well, I mean, what's your take on it? How can we create, um, you know, um, whether it be more awareness or more appreciation for the level of athletes that these women are. Yeah, again, that's a that's a good question. Um, I feel like if I had the answer to that one, I'd, I'd probably be in the marketing with uh, the WNBA or the NWSL. Um, you know, I, I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, it's it's hard. Again, obviously, I'm biased. I coach on the women's side and I'm, I'm fully aware of, you know, of how talented some of these women's soccer players are and, you know, the, the level that they compete at, the athleticism that's involved, the, the work and all that kind of stuff that it takes to be successful at that level. Um, but I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I know right now in, in Europe, the women's game is just absolutely exploding. Um, the, the English women's national team played the American, the U.S. team and, at Wembley, which I think holds around maybe 80,000, something like that, and it was sold out. So – in Europe, there seems to be a bit more enthusiasm for the for the women's game. Um, in the U.S., I think the NWSL still, you know, their their attendance is, you know, it's kind of similar to the NBA versus the WNBA, the NWSL, the Women's Pro League versus the MI, the, the MLS. Uh, and I don't I don't know how you know I don't know how you how you get there. You know, it's it's that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, and obviously, I don't. You know, you need someone smarter than me to solve to solve that one. So, <laughs> no, I just think that you're you're a brilliant man. I just think that people need to be exposed more to people who are absolutely loving and having the passion for the game, like you do, and are building champion people. You know what I mean? And and that really connects people to the sport because most of the time it's emotional. I, I told you earlier, I'm an irrational, like irrational, uh, uh, Titans fan. Like it has no yeah. logic, no logic at all. Like there is yeah. a lot of abuse in that relationship. Uh, there's a lot of therapy. Um, there is a lot of lows in my, in my yeah. career, but it's irrational. Right. And so when we could get people to connect to it emotionally, I think is amazing coach with you recruiting too. 
um, say I'm a I'm a uh, a division co- a division one coach, and I'm I've got a, a women's soccer team. You and I sit down, and we have a prospect in front of us. What do you say to that prospect to get them to come and play for you as opposed to come and play for me? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And, you know, some of it is, you know, like, where's this where's this individual from? Right. Is she a local product? Is she a, out of state? Is she out of country and international? Um, and you try to kind of, I think, get a get a grasp for what they're looking. You know, my first question is, look, what are you looking for in a college? You know, what are you looking for um, in a college experience and 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 figure out what's important to them and then see, you know, do you fit what they're looking for? Because sometimes it's just not a good fit. You know, we might we might find a player that we love and she's like, look, I want to you know, I want to major in in X, Y, Z. And if we don't offer it, then, you know, you're kind of dead in the water. Um, And what you don't want to do is try to convince a kid that to come play for you when it's not a good fit, Uh, you know, like. I, I tell players all the time when we're recruiting them, I said, look, I want to be fully transparent with, you know, what we're offering, what we have to offer, you know, your experience here, because I don't want them to get there and then not enjoy it and then end up looking to transfer because that's not, that's not good for anyone. So, um, you know, the, the biggest thing is what are they looking for? I mean, there's a lot of things that we sell at RMU, we, you know, our proximity to Pittsburgh. I mean, we're, you know, we're the closest university to the Pittsburgh airport. So, you know, they're international or if they're coming have to fly in from somewhere we've got i think what we got three four vegas kids on the roster and you know it's easy it's easy for them to fly in and you know you're five minutes you're out of the airport and and are on rmu's campus um you know pittsburgh's a cool a cool city we sell that the university is uh um it's a you know it's away from the city so you don't have to deal with it's not like unlv right smack dab in the middle of the city where you've, you sometimes got to deal with, um, you know, maybe some people that shouldn't be on campus, uh, you know, on campus where our campus is very safe. Um, you know, so we like to sell that it's small, we're about 5,000 students. So the RMU, the RMU motto is, uh, you know, big enough to matter, but small enough to care. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which again, that, that epitomizes the campus right there. You know, it's, it's, it's small enough where, you know, you're going to know, you're going to know the professors, you're going to know your, you, you know, the other, the other members of the other teams. Um, but we're still a division one university and, and still compete, you know, at a high level in the horizon league. So, um, but yeah, what, what we don't want to do is ever, you know, uh, badmouth another university or another program, you know, so when we, we don't, we don't recruit against other programs, uh-huh. we're just recruiting for Robert Morris. And that, that's so uncommon too. I mean, and I love that coach. And it's one of the things that, uh, that drew me to you too, is the integrity part, because a lot of times people think the only way to be able to get what they want is to smash somebody else. You know what I mean? Well, interesting. There was, there was a story I was told by a buddy of mine who said, you know, it was, a, I don't know what the sport was, but it was a coach that, you know, we have verbal, verbal commitments um in the ncaa which is you know before a kid signs they just they tell you hey coach i'm, I'm going to come play for you and for us once there's that verbal commitment that's you know it's, it's just as good as signed you know we're, we're not gonna you know that money's going to be there for you it's not going anywhere you know we're we're hoping you know we're assuming that you're going to honor your commitment and there was a i'd heard a story about a coach that said look all a verbal commitment tells us is who we're competing against to get that kid Whereas for me, if, if I, you know, if I have a conversation with a kid and they're like, Hey, we've already verbally committed to, 
you know, this XYZ school. And I go, okay, you know, fair enough. I understand that. I wish you the best of luck. And, you know, if something changes down the road, give us a call. And, you know, for me, that's the end of the recruiting process. So coach, how is it that, well, I mean, what I've heard you say over and over again is, and this is going to be paraphrasing, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But what I keep hearing is that winning is secondary in your, in your, you know, even if it's not secondary, it's, it's a third part of it, but you keep winning. You have a phenomenal record. Your record speaks for itself in what you're doing. I mean, you had the, uh, the winningest, uh, record in the mountain West, I believe. Um, you know, what, how is it that at the level that you're at, like, cause most of the time people think just winning is everything. And if not, then we're going to go get a coach who does have that. How do you deal with the pressure from, you know, cause you got to have a good organization. How do you deal with that? And it's like, you stay so calm in it, man. I want, I want some of this. Let's bottle it. So you can sell it to everyone at the Seven Eleven. What is it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I have my moments. I can, I can get, I can, <laughs> I can get fiery, but Again, it's, um, you know, for me, I think it's, you know, I've, I've, I've mellowed with age. I think some of that's, uh, you know, the maturity that comes with having done this for a while. And, and at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's just college soccer. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other things in life that are more important than, um, you know, winning and losing soccer games. Um, although I will say this, I love the way it feels to walk off a field after a win feels great, but, um, you know, again, it, to me, it goes back to winning the right way, you know, and, and, you know, I go into games sometimes and go, you know what, if we, you know, if we try to do things a little bit different, well, change up our style and, you know, maybe we could find a way to, you know, give us a better chance at getting a result. But, but then I, then I think about it and I go, but that's not, that's not what I've told these kids when I recruited them. That's not what I, you know, I said, look, we're going to play a certain way and that's the expectation that they have. And, and that's what, and that's what we're committed to. So even though we could do things a little bit differently and, and maybe give ourselves a better shot at getting a W. Um, as I said before, I'd, I'd, I'd rather play the right way and lose than, than, than be direct and, you know, kind of make the game ugly and, and, and find a way to win. So, um, so yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, again, I don't, I hate losing, <laughs> but I also, I also firmly believe that the game should be played a certain way. Coach, give advice to two different people. Number one, a kid who's struggling to get better. And number two, a kid recovering from injury. What, what, should, what should that kid do? Let's talk about the first one, the kid struggling to get better. What are some actionable items that the kids out there that, that are listening, or even their parents, what should this kid be doing to get better? Yeah, I, I think if it's a kid that's struggling to get better, my, my question would be how much time are you actually – and again, I'll – I'll make this specific to soccer because that's, that's what I know. So my thing would be how much time are you actually spending a day with a soccer ball? You know, like if you're going days in a row without touching a soccer ball, then you're not doing everything that, you know, you're not doing even, I think for me, the bare minimum that's necessary to get better. Um, And unfortunately, I think in this day and age, we feel like everything has to be, structured, you know, and, and, and when we were young, it was, you just, you just get some of your buddies together and you go out and you, and you, and you play, you know, whether that was Nerf football or wiffle ball or, I mean, whatever. Um, And there's not enough of that anymore where, 
you know, I tell my, my, my youth players all the time, I go, look, just every day find, and it doesn't have to be a ton of time. It doesn't have to be an hour and a half. It doesn't have to be an hour, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, even 10 minutes a day to spend just with you and the soccer ball and start there, you know? And, and if you're doing that for a good three or four months and you're not seeing an improvement, then, you know, at that point, I don't know what to tell you, but I, I find it hard to believe that spending that much time with the ball, you're not going to see some improvements. I mean, I remember at a, at a young age, um, and I and probably what, like maybe second or third grade, no, sorry, fourth, fourth grade, fourth grade. And I had my friends in the neighborhood and we would always, you know, we would play soccer, you know, we do all the sports, but soccer was my thing. And I decided that I wanted to be able to juggle the ball. You know, I don't know what it was. I wanted to break some record, you know? And every single day, that's what I was doing was juggling with the soccer ball. And it was, and, and within, you know, a month I was able to juggle like, you know, a couple of hundred times where I was probably doing, you know, 10 or 20 at the time, you know? So it's the time that you invest in it, you're going to see, you're going to see, you're going to see improvements, but if you're not investing the time, then, then obviously there's going to be some, you know, some stagnation. So, so let's go to the, uh, to the kid who's injured, right? Go to the kid who's injured, major injury. Um, we could say knee or ankle. I mean, those are going to be common. Uh, knee, ACL, MCL, or meniscus. They blow it out. What's, what's some actionable items that they can do to be, I mean, outside of physical therapy, I mean, obviously look at yeah. your doctor, things like that, but how can they start to prepare mentally too? And how can they start to look? Cause I, I find in life, Chris, that, that it's not about the things that happen to you. It's your perspective. It's the vantage point from which you see it. And yeah. that will affect your, your perception. Yeah. The way that you receive it. How can a kid start to receive something different as, as far as an injury? Because most of the kids would be like, this sucks. It's over. Everything's going down. I can't believe this, all the stuff. What does Coach Chris say in that side, actionable item, to get them out of that hole? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I think it would have to be sitting down and evaluating what it is that you're looking to accomplish, you know, post-rehabilitation. Post and so start making lists, right? Like here, here, here's what I want to accomplish. And then, you know, how, how, how do you get there? Right. And, and again, that's going to start with, you know, if, if we're talking about an ACL, it's going to start with, uh, you know, getting surgery and then, you know, the rehab and then, you know, getting stronger. And then, um, you know, I, I think just, just starting to, to go down the list and, and see what it is that it's going to take to get to where you want to get to. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, the, if you write something down that, that increases the likelihood of that happening tremendously. And, um, most of the, all the goals that I've accomplished in my life at some point were written down. And I know there's been, been times where I didn't write stuff down. I was just hoping. And, and usually I didn't, I didn't reach those goals. So, um, and then the, the second piece of that, I think, is just the, uh, the the mental piece, right? So again, you're you're maybe limited with what you can do physically. You can't get out and, and juggle a soccer ball or or you know work on that part of your game. Can you work on the mental side of your game? And and to be honest, I think that's an area where you know I, I think at the youth level we struggle with, and even at the collegiate level, to be honest. I mean, we have strength and conditioning coaches at most universities. I, I would say every division one college program is going to have a head strength and conditioning coach and, and multiple assistants. But 
outside of the larger universities, many do not have a, a, um, a mental performance coach. And so, I, and, and again, I think that's, that's just a huge piece. I mean, if you look at, you know, you look at the likes of a Tiger Woods, who one of the most talented golfers in history, right? But when he's not in a good mental headspace, right? He's going through, you know, a, a challenging time mentally. He's not performing, you know? And most of those golfers, it's, it, it's typically not, they, they don't typically say, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a technical deficiency or, or, a, or a physical deficiency. It's a mental challenge that they're facing while their game's struggling. And it's no different on the soccer field or on the baseball field or on the football field. You know, it's, it's a, I think that's definitely an area that we overlook. And if I could go back and do it all over again, I was, a, I was an exercise physiology. That was my degree. And I thought at the time, oh, that, that works out perfect for coaching, right? Well, no, because we have strength and conditioning coaches. That's their area of expertise. If I had it all to do over again, I'd go and I tell people, I tell coaches this that are, you know, wanting to get into it. I go, look, do do a psychology degree. If you want to be a coach, do a psychology degree. And that will help you so much more than any other degree that you can get in terms of your coaching profession. So, coach, help me with the other thing, which I see a lot. I see these, um, especially in in today's society, because we have so many um we have so many clinics. We have so many specialty coaches. I mean, me and my brother growing up, my brother was the athlete. I wasn't the athlete. I was the athlete's brother. I got, I got, the, I caught the fallout. I got to hang out because yeah. he was so good. Yeah. But he didn't have a specialized quarterback coach working with him. He was playing in the backyard. He didn't have all these things, right? And what I noticed, and I noticed it more and more, my brother never came to like my dad and said, I'm just burnt out on playing football. He loved yeah. football. Yeah. Can you talk to the burnout part? Because I hear it so often. I'm around parents and then their kid and their kid is being pushed at this level, this crazy level over and over again. And then I get a chance to spend time with the kids by themselves. And the kids are like, I'm like, how is soccer? It's so amazing because the parents are posting in the, the this and that. And they're talking about the, this and they're getting them with the strength coaches. And then the kid pulls me aside because being in the professional beauty industry for so long, I would get time with that kid. And most of the time, the conversation with that kid would be like, they would look around first, they'd make sure that their parents weren't there, and they'd be like, I don't actually like it that much. Yeah. But I'm yeah. scared because my parents have invested so much. How could a kid, so talk to the parents out there, but also to the kids, how can we stop this burnout from happening and help them to continue to love the sport that they wanted to play in the first place? Yeah, again, I think that's a tough one because you do see that there is so much specialization now. And, you know, again, when we were younger, we were playing, you know, three, four different sports. And so I, I think you didn't get, I don't know, it's interesting because I, I remember in the summer when I was young, trying to find opportunities to play soccer and there just weren't many opportunities. You know, the game's changed so much. Now these kids are playing year round, nonstop. I mean, there's no break. So... I think in some aspects it's, you know, it's better than it used to be from, you know, that you have opportunities year round, but now I think, you know, these parents and players need to make, you know, need to be able to make decisions on when they need to take some time off. And unfortunately coaches, a lot of coaches just feel like, Hey, more is better, more is better. And they push these kids too much. And, you know, there's no free weekends. And if there is a free weekend, they're trying to find a game to play or something to do for their team. 
And I think the parents have also kind of under that, that same misconception that, you know, more is better. And if my kids, you know, not, not playing every single day. And again, when, when we talk about playing, I said, go, go, go outside and, and spend time with the ball every single day, but going out in your backyard for 30 minutes by yourself with a ball is not, is not physically taxing. You know, it's not a lot of wear and tear on the body when you're going out and training for an hour and a half or, you know, playing three, four or five games in a weekend, that is, that is just so taxing from, a, you know, mentally and physically. And, uh, you know, unfortunately that's, you know, it, it, that's kind of where we are with youth sports, you know, more is better, more is better, more is better. And, you know, I had a conversation with a youth coach um, not too long ago and who said, you know, that their team is just decimated by injuries. You know, they're, they're, they're just like, man, we're hit by the injury bug. We're hit by the injury bug. And then, and then turned around in the, in the same conversation and said, yeah, next weekend we're going to a tournament because, you know, it, we had an open weekend and, and wanted to get some games in. And I was like, why? And give them, a, give them a weekend off. It's okay. You know, it's, they're not, they're not going to, they're, they're probably going to benefit more from the rest. And even at the collegiate level, I mean, we had, you know, the, our soccer season is a long, I mean, it's not long. It's, it's August, September, October, maybe a little bit into November. So it's, you know, three and a half months. But that's every, you know, they get one day off a week, but it's, it's a lot, you know, we're on, we're traveling, it's five, six, seven hour bus rides. It's just a lot coupled with studying and all that kind of stuff. And so this week we played on Sunday and, and we don't play again until Saturday. I said, Hey, look, we're, we're taking Monday and Tuesday off. You know, we're going to, we're going to benefit more from that extra day of rest than we are from just making, making them get up early and come out and train. So you know, I, I think sometimes people don't understand the importance of, of rest and, you know, allowing your players to recharge their batteries and take a break. And, um, you know, it's just kind of more, more, more go, go, go. And that's just, it's exhausting, you know, from again, physically exhausting yeah. and mentally exhausting. So, so, so Chris, help, help me too, because, you know, um, and it, if you're a soccer parent out there, I want you to know you got to understand the reality. You get a bad rap uh, because when when I when I talk with with friends and we're talking, it's like they go to the soccer parents. Now they don't they don't specifically name the basketball parents, the football parents. They name yeah. the soccer parents, and they're like, yeah. "There's a certain stigma with the soccer parents." And I don't have soccer kids, so I ain't in this, but. Can you give some advice to the soccer, the soccer parents? If you're out there and you heard that and you got offended, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're in that, that, that quotation. What advice would you give to those soccer parents out there uh, that are on the sideline? Because most of the time as a coach, like you're getting bombarded with everything, text, emails, you're getting yelled at at the game. Um, if you're a youth coach, all the stuff from a coach's perspective, if you got to sit down with all the soccer parents, and you got to let them know, like, hey, guys, this is from Chris, uh, Coach Chris. What would that be? Well, first of all, what I'll tell you is no soccer parent thinks they're that parent, right? <laughs> it's always someone else. It's always someone else. Um, yeah, because the number of times I've had parents tell me, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not that kind of parent. But and then I'm like, well, if you have to tell me you're not that kind of parent, then you probably are that kind of parent. But um yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me is in most parents didn't, you know, they're not soccer. I mean, there, there might be some that grew up with the game and played the game. And, and if that's the case, fair enough. But 
you know, what I what I've kind of learned over the years is that most of the times the kids don't want to hear it from the parents, you know, like they, they don't want to they don't want to finish a game and then get a lecture from mom or dad in the car about what they did wrong, what they you know, that type of thing. So, you know, let the coach do that as a parent. It's just, you know, I would say, I don't know, uh, one or a couple of questions after the game. Right. Did you have fun? Um, I'll, I'll say two questions, right? Did you have fun? And where do you want to go eat? And that's it. Leave it at that. You know, like that's, th those are the most important things um, for the parent. You, you don't need to worry about, you know, breaking down. Well, why didn't you do this in that situation? Why didn't you kick it here? Why didn't you score that goal? Again, if they had, if they didn't have a good game, then they've, you know, they probably had a conversation with the coach or, you know, they're feeling down themselves. Just your job's to, to build them up, not to, you know, not to tear them down again. Um, you know, again, it's, it's I, I don't have kids, so it's hard for me to, to put myself in that situation, right? I have had a dog and I thought my dog was probably the, the smartest and best dog in the world, right? And so I'm, assure, I'm assuming that's what parents think too, right? Like my kid's special, my kid's this, my kid's that. Um, but, you know, I, I guess it's hard not to try to live vicariously through your child. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I tell, I tell my, I tell, I tell my youth kids all the time and the parents, I said, look, at the end of the day, it's, it's your child's soccer career. Like it's, it's what they want out of it. And if they don't want to get out there on the field and, and work hard and, and, and put the time in, you can't make them do that. All you're going to do is make them not want to play the game or you're mm -hmm. going to make them miserable. So if the, if they are committed to it, then, then great, you know, like support them. Right. But, but at the end of the day, you can't make your child, um, you know, a superstar athlete, you know, like that, that comes from within. It, it just does. You know, I mean, there, I, I'm, there's some examples of some, some parents that tried that. Right. And again, I guess, you know, you have what the, the Williams sisters, right. With their dad. And, um, but, but those you had a dad that was pushing them, but they were passionate about it and they wanted to get out there, you know, Tiger Woods and his dad, that's another great example. Right. But then you have the, who was it? Todd Marinovich from the from USC, right? Like, you know, that one backfired, right? Like, yeah. And, and most know, of them, I mean, most of them do. I mean, a lot of them yeah. do. You'll have the outliers like you were talking about, yeah. but, but a lot of times it, it, most, of, most those kids right there and those parents right there, that they probably don't even get to the college level before they're burned out and, and that kids quit the sport, mm. you know? So, um, so yeah, like I said, I, 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 I can only imagine how hard it must be right to watch your kid and see them, you know, maybe not putting forth the effort that you want them to put forth or, or not being as successful as you want them to be. But, you know, it, it is what it is, right? It's their, it's their life, you know? And, and again, unless you were a, uh, you know, unless the parent was a division one professional athlete, then what, what can you really say? Well, how come you weren't playing, you know, how come you didn't make the NFL dad? How come you weren't playing major league baseball? Right. So. <laughs> hey, just, just a public service announcement. I didn't say that. Chris said that to all of you kids that are listening. So pop your parents on that one. If they're pushing you yeah. in youth sports, be like, yeah, yeah, where, where'd you go? Did you, did you get a scholarship? You didn't? Yeah. Okay. Then shut your yeah. mouth and, and get me some uh, dinner. That's what you yeah. need to tell them. That's yeah. what, I, I love it. Chris. You, you can, you can, if, if you're not, if you're not successful on the field, you can just blame your genetics and that's mom and dad's fault. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Chris, 
Um, there's a there's a special young lady in in my uh, in my life, my niece, and and she has been she has been an absolute phenomenal athlete, Riley Cardenas. I think one of the top prospects uh, that that's out there that's unsigned. She, uh, you know, she had a little snafu uh, recently. Um, can you talk to her uh, specifically? I mean, like, can you look into the camera and yeah, if you could use her name too, it'd be awesome. But what advice would you have for her? I mean, when I say snafu, uh, you know, she had an ACL injury. It's devastating. She's a senior in high school, and she's, you know, it's, it's, she got some, some, she got a, a road ahead of her. Yeah. What would you say to Riley? And if you could use her name, it would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say is there have been numerous, numerous athletes who have been in that exact same situation. You know, like that have that have torn an ACL. You know, going, you know, in their senior year and have gone on to be uber successful, you know, to have had great college careers. Um, there was actually a youth player that I coached in Las Vegas that had, and I'm trying to remember now, I, I, it was either two, I think she had two back-to-back or maybe even three back-to-back, but I know she had at least two, like literally tore her ACL, came back and immediately tore the other one. And then Went, went to college, went off to college and had a phenomenal college career. I mean, was an all-conference performer, played. I think she started and played every game of her career. Fantastic college career. Um, but I think the the injury, you know, and, and her resiliency in dealing with that probably made it so that there, there, were, there wasn't going to be anything she was going to face in college that was going to be as tough as she went through in, in high school and coming back from those injuries. So super resilient, probably, you know, mentally tougher post-injury than she was pre-injury. Um, and so I think that's, that's the challenge, right? Is, you know, Riley, you've just got to be, you know, mentally tough and, and stay focused and, you know, go after what it is that you want to go after. And, um, you know, I, I, I know, you know, I know with your, with your uncle and your dad, you're going to get all, all the, the more positive support than you, than you probably even are capable of dealing with, right. Or would even want. So, um, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to have, you're going to have super supportive family around you. And, and it, again, it's, it's what do you want out of it? And if what you want to do is play at the next level, then I a hundred percent know that there, those opportunities will be there. So if you had to do a public service announcement for soccer, we talked about it earlier. But you got 15 seconds. You get you get to talk to the to the United States. All of them are in the audience, and soccer. You need to watch more soccer. Now I, you're going to be talking to me too because I didn't grow up with soccer. Um, I am that guy that was at, at times. I was like, I have an idea, and Chris, maybe you can run this by Division One. Uh, you know, uh, the 340 schools. See if you guys want to use this. If you do, we've got it recorded, and it is my idea. Add. <laughs> three more goals um, to the end of the thing. So you could shoot into any one of them and add like only two goalies. So there'll be a couple open goals that they have to run to. This is a really stupid idea, but I'm a novice in soccer. 15 seconds, <laughs> give me 15, 30 seconds, PSA on why people should watch more soccer and how can it connect, like how can it connect to their life too? I love the metaphorical parts of when you were talking about earlier, everybody's moving, everyone, there's no one more important. That made sense to me. I didn't understand that. Like, you know, so help, help me to realize, help me to watch more soccer. 
Well, so I'll speak to two parts. One is the, because I think Americans are drawn towards that to athleticism, right? Like we're always enamored with, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. And um, even in the game, in the game of soccer, the, the Americans, we tend to focus on our athleticism, whereas other countries tend tend to be more technical, more soccer savvy. Um, so to focus on the, the athletic piece, soccer is a sport where you, you have to be, you can't just be fast, right? So your, your individuals that are just fast, but have no aerobic endurance, they're not going to last on a soccer field. You make two runs and then you're gassed and you're done, right? Well, those football players, they, they go, they make a couple of runs and they go off to the side and then they rest and then they come back in and then they make a couple more runs off to the side and rest. Or, or if you're on the offensive line, you get to rest when the defense is on there and vice versa. Um, soccer players have to be very well-rounded athletes. I mean, they have to be, I mean, it benefits them to be fast, but also to have the aerobic capacity to run for 90 minutes. I mean, a, a, a typical professional soccer player will, um, will cover about six, over six miles in a game. Right. Well, that's not just six miles of just running at, at steady state, you know, like one pace. That's, that's six miles where you're sprinting, you're jogging, you're running and everything in between and changing directions. So, you know, the, the athleticism that it takes to excel in soccer, I think is, um, you know, it's next level. I mean, they, they've got to be some of the, some of the fittest team sport athletes, um, in the world for sure. Um, now the technical piece, the, the other side of that is the skill that these players at the, you know, at the highest level possess and their ability to control a ball and manipulate a ball and, you know, put the ball where they want it to head it, to take it off their chest, to use their thigh, um, you know, to bend a ball, to, to curve a ball is unbelievable. And, and the speed at which they do it at. So anyone who's not a soccer fan, I would say, look, just take, take a day and, and watch the game played at the highest level. Right. So, you know, your, your, your English premier league, your, your Spanish league and, and just sit there and watch the game and, and try to get an appreciation for the, the, the ability that these players have. I mean, it's, un, I, I played the game at a, again, a, a decent level. And, and I'm amazed at what, you know, what the speed at which some of these players can, can do things with the ball at their feet. It's just amazing. So would it help some of these people? Um, you know, uh, again, I, I, I have to call myself out by being, would it help some of those people to go outside and kick a soccer ball? Cause I remember kicking with my niece Riley and she would be kicking and she would be like, I'm going to kick it there. Pow. And she'd be a pow, pow. And then I was like, this is uncle golden foot right here. And then yeah. I, I was like, I'm going to place it right there. And I didn't place it anywhere near there. I didn't, yeah. even, I, I didn't even hit the wall. Like the wall was the whole wall, but I couldn't even hit that. Like, would you suggest the, us get out there and maybe try and juggle? Cause I think my high in juggling is like 14. And that was when I was in fifth grade and I was, I, I still remember it to this day. I remember where I was 15. Yeah. 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 It, it, again, it, I think it's, it's a, it's a sport that, that takes a lot of technique. I mean, it's a very technical sport and it's not, it's not as natural as, as throwing a ball, you know, like I think most Americans can throw a football, throw a baseball and probably put it in the general direction of where they want the ball to go. And then you watch them kick a ball and you're like, that technique was just awful. You know, it's like, you know, but, but again, I don't know how much of that is just, you know, coming from physical education classes when we're young, you know, you're playing, you know, you're playing sports that, 
that have a lot of hand-eye coordination, not so much foot-eye coordination, you know? So it, it's it's funny because we're all, you know, there, there's always times in a game where a ball goes off the field and, and you know, like an athletic trainer will go to get it or, you know, there happens to be some, you know, some other athletic department people around and they go to kick it. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, like that's <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> you so I'm, I'm not the only I'm not the only one, Chris, because my yeah. my kicking skill is awful. How how many of the the kids out there too that are kicking right, and they're phenomenal at soccer? How many would you suggest to go and kick during the football season for field goals for their football team? Because I've seen this happen in the crossover, and they don't have to work as much they don't have to do all the stuff but they have a skill to be able to kick the ball at a level that is ridiculous would you suggest it or no well i would i would say it's it's definitely going to be more beneficial for the football coach and the football program than it is the soccer the soccer kid okay because the technique is when you're kicking a field goal right you're leaning back you're trying to get the height you know and the distance that's not necessarily a great skill or at that important of a skill to have on the soccer field. Cause if you think about it, you're trying to score, you're, you're trying to score under the crossbar under where the field goal post would be in soccer, right? Ah, okay. and in football, you're trying to kick it over. So, you know, if, if you're, if your money kicking field goals, that probably means you're not, you're not so great trying to shoot on a soccer goal, you know, um, there's is- a little bit of an adjustment, you know, if you're kicking field goals, kicking field goals, kicking field goals, and then you're trying to score on a soccer goal, there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment there. So, there's, I don't think there's any benefit to a soccer player to kick field goals. Okay. But for sure, a benefit to a football team to have a soccer player kicking field goals, right? Because they're used to the accuracy and, and you know, usually they can kick a ball with pretty good distance. Well, so. this is why I need you, coach, is because like in my head, I was like, oh, wow, but you just broke that down. I didn't even realize the under and over part of it and how it could affect the game. You know, I yeah. was just thinking on the, again, I mean, I, I'm a football fan and my friends, I, I love it because I'm all my soccer friends. I'm like, I'm a football fan. They're like, you should be and, um, <laughs> because they're talking about the real, the, yeah, which, yeah. you would call yeah. it the real football. I was just about to say yeah. the real football and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I always try to say American football versus, versus football. Yes. Yes. Look, uh, Chris, uh, it's, it's amazing. Coach, you you have been phenomenal. Um, the reason why I started the podcast is because of my kids, uh, Maddox and McKenna and, um, Maddox is 11 years old. McKenna is 13. Maddox is a, uh, he's a, he's a sports guy and mm-hmm. McKenna is the more artsy side. So she is doing acting, uh, writing. Um, she wants to be a director and she's in that side of, of life in the, in the arts, the performing arts. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to take iconic people like yourself, one of 340 people in this country. Let that settle in for a second if you're listening or you're watching. If your profession, now, early on in my career, starting off as a hairdresser, if there was only 340 positions as a hairdresser, I probably would have chosen a different profession. Rob Cardenas listening out there. If there was only 340 lawyers and you, went, you wouldn't have gone to law school. This man is one of 340 in the whole entire country. There's only 340 positions, actually 339, and he's one of, he's the 340th. And I wanted to take iconic people like that, like you, Chris, coach, and I wanted to show my kids that there's no idols in life, that 
Coach Chris is not a superhero, that he is a guy who has a phenomenal attitude, crazy work ethic. What uh, advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both of their names, it would be awesome. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you what, Maddox and McKenna, first of all, you, you both of you are super fortunate to have a, a father who's, again, such a such a positive mentality. I mean, again, Kelly, I haven't been around you, you know, except for this podcast right here. But, you know, you and your brother are so similar in terms of your your outlook on life and your positivity. And I mean, you know, I get texts from your brother every day and he, he'll send me, he sends me books occasionally. And, you know, I obviously I, I'm always looking at his social media and I'm, I'm always amazed at, at his, um, I mean, again, I, I feel like that guy wakes up every morning with just a, a, a perma smile, you know? And, and uh, so again, I think, I think both your children are super fortunate to have someone who's just, uh, you know, always going to find the bright side of life. Um, always going to look to the positives. Um, you know, every, you're, you're always going to find that silver lining. And so I think no matter what they do, they're always going to have your support. And with your support, there's no, there's no limits to what they can achieve. Um, so I think, you know, I think that's a, a big reason for my success was my mom and my mom and dad were both super supportive of, you know, my goals in life. And, and, um, and so again, I, you know, I wish Maddox and McKenna the, you know, all the best, but they're starting off, they're starting off with a leg off, a leg up just because of, uh, you know, their, their parents and who they are and the support that they have. And again, no matter what they do, they're always going to have, you know, have you 100% behind them and in their corner. So coach, I I haven't done this before, um, but I want to ask you because all the people who listen to you or got a chance to see you, and I'd love to have you on the podcast again, because it's so interesting. I want to become a soccer fan. I will commit to you. I will commit to you. I will watch. Before we get on again, I'm going to watch at least three full games, and I'm going to be phoned down, and I'm in. I'm going to watch the games. Okay? I promise you. When people hear you and see you, they see this, like, superhero. They see this amazing coach that builds champions, that is – doing the right things that is not just about winning that you want to win in the right way. You would much rather win, uh, like you would much rather lose the right way than win the wrong way. Like you said that that's incredible. And so sometimes people will see you and be like, man, okay, well, everything's going good for him. What do you struggle with coach? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think my biggest thing is, um, is probably the, the, the internal pressures that I put on myself to, to be successful. You know, it's, it's, um, I mean, I, I do want to win. And again, I do want to win the right way. And it's not always easy to win the right way. And, the, and again, there's always that temptation to, you know, to not, to not commit, to not stick with the process and, and to try to take those shortcuts. But, um, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, it's hard sometimes to, you know, especially with a, in this day and age where, you know, if we lose a game, that's, it's, it's plastered on social media, it's on our website, it's, you know, so it's it, so much in the public eye. And, and again, there's just a lot of, of pressure to be successful. Um, that sometimes you do have to take a step back. And, and, and as I said earlier, right, at the end of the day, it, it just is a game. It just is soccer. And there's a lot of other things out there that are, that are more important, um, you know, family and health and, um, you know, a work-life balance. And um, so that's probably the biggest challenge, I think, is just, you know, those internal pressures to be successful. 
Coach, you have been absolutely phenomenal, man. I mean, I think every every parent out there that's listening is like, how can I get my kid to RMU? Like, how can I get, you know, Coach Chris to be able to coach my kid? And some of them soccer parents out there, it ain't going to happen. I just want to let you know. <laughs> but, I, I mean, it, it's incredible because, you know, as, as a parent, you want your child to be around someone of the highest integrity that's going to bring out the best and you bring out the best in people and I want to congratulate you on that man and you're just you're 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 better than advertised my man and I I really 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 appreciate you spending time with me here on the show so I appreciate you Kelly I mean it's uh I've enjoyed I mean it's flown by um this time and and again both both you and your brother just so easy to talk to and and you know like I said I I I'm I'm super impressed by your both your positivity and, and outlook on life and um, it's obvious that you two are brothers right because you're you're both you're both cut from the same cloth right um, so again I I always anytime anytime my phone rings and it's Rob I'm I'm always excited about having that conversation because I know you know it, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life he's gonna you know he's gonna have a positive thing to say and and put a smile on my face and. You know, even if we're coming off, I mean, we'll lose a game and I'll get a text from him and be like, hey, that's all right, coach. We get him next time. You know, he's he's just super positive. So, um, again, I, I enjoyed this. I had, a, I had a blast. I appreciate your time. And uh, again, would love to do it again. And look, I, you and Rob coming out to Pittsburgh, man, we'll, we'll, we'll take it to a Riverhounds professional soccer game or we'll go to a, a local, uh, you know, a local uh, pub and, and watch Manchester City or Manchester United play and and you know, try to try to teach you the, the nuances of the game and, and, and get you a better appreciation for the beautiful game. <laughs> well, I want to come and watch your team. I want to come and watch uh, uh, Robert Morris uh, women's soccer. That's what I want to do. I, and I want to make sure because I got a daughter out, uh, you know, I got a daughter here and I want to make sure that whether it be the performing arts or it be uh, women's sports or anything that way that we lift up our girls, that we lift them up and help them to realize that it's not, oh, and they're doing this. It's no, they're at the, in the spotlight to be able to see the, the level of athletes, the level of people that they are, uh, which I think is amazing. Now's the time where every one of you check out the sponsors, um, you know, check out all the people who have supported us and I want to thank every single one of you out there listening we just recently went over a hundred thousand downloads and it's because every one of you it's all been organic we're in the top one percent globally I say this over and over again but it's to say thank you thank you for watching thank you for listening and thank you for sharing it with every single person if you know or you are a soccer parent Share this with another soccer parent or someone who needs to hear Coach Chris because I think we need more of you in our life. And I just thank you again, uh, Coach Chris. You're the man. You're officially off the hot seat.